a king who was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, who grew up in Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, who taught and performed miracles in the region of Galilee and Judea, who was crucified and killed on a hill outside Jerusalem. Why do we? Why do millions of people throughout the world remember and celebrate the birth of this king? We do so because the king who was born so long ago in Bethlehem is, in fact, the savior of the world and the Lord of all creation. We do so because this king has become our king by overcoming our rebellion through his death and resurrection. And we do so because this king, once born in Bethlehem, was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be the eternal Son of God, who is to be worshipped and adored together with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so for this reason, I want to preach God's word to you this evening from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17, so that we may marvel at the majesty of Jesus the King. In the words of the hymn, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And so working our way through this text, let me give you three main reasons to adore him this evening. First, he is the eternal Son of God, verse 15. Second, he is above all created things, verse 16. And third, he is the center of all created things, verse 17. So look with me then in the first place at verse 15. Here the Apostle Paul proclaims the king born in Bethlehem to be the eternal son of God. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is. Who is this he that Paul proclaims? Well, He is the same glorious person that he's just said is the redeemer and king. In verse 13 and 14, the Father, he's just said, is worthy of all thanksgiving because in his amazing grace, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, who is this beloved Son of God into whose kingdom believers have been transferred and in whom They have redemption. Who is this Son of God? Is he simply, as some would say, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses, is he simply a human being? Or perhaps an angel? Is he perhaps even the greatest of all men? Or the chief of all the angels? See, maybe even the highest of all the creatures, that would be quite something. But in fact, he is higher than the highest and greater than the greatest of created beings, whether human or angel. He's not simply the chief among the creatures, but he is supreme over all creation as the uncreated, eternal Son of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son of God who rules over his church as king by redemption 
is also the eternal Son of God who rules over all things as Lord by creation. He is the Creator King, God Himself, as well as the Savior King, God in human flesh. And as such, Jesus is not simply a personal Savior. He is that for all who trust and believe in Him. But He is not simply a personal Savior for those who believe in Him, but He is in fact the Sovereign Lord of all creation and of all people. This means, as Abram Kuyper famously put it, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is Lord, sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And it also means that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the message, as we'll see, of of our text as a whole. But let's focus in on the words of verse 15 again. What does it mean that Christ is the image of God and the firstborn of creation? What do these phrases tell us about the identity of our Savior as the eternal Son of God? Well, we need to read both of these expressions against the background of the Old Testament on the one hand and in light of the New Testament revelation of the gospel on the other hand. Consider first Paul's declaration that Christ is the image of the invisible God. The Old Testament background that this expression echoes, it goes all the way back to the first pages of the Bible. If you remember, when God created human beings, in Genesis 1, verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does this mean that God created humanity in in His image? Well, it means that He created us with the ability to reflect. To reflect His own character in our relationship to His creation. And for a purpose, for this purpose, that the whole earth might be filled and subdued with God's glory. That all creation might, as it were, sing those words of Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is what we were made for as humans. To reflect the glory and character of God as those created in his image. As royal sons and daughters of our creator, fashioned in his likeness and commissioned to represent him as vice-regents over his creation. Now fast forward to the New Testament. And we find that the gospel reveals Jesus Christ to be the supreme image of God. Not simply a reflection of God's image, as we were designed to be as creatures, but he is the original, eternal image, the original pattern after which we were designed and fashioned as human beings in the beginning. As Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And so Christ is not simply the reflection 
But he is the very radiance of God's glory. As the rays that emanate from the blazing sun are the radiance or outshining of the sun. They're not simply a reflection. And yet he is also a reflection. Because in the same way he perfectly replicates the nature of God. As the image on a coin replicates the image of the dye from which that coin gets its imprint. Jesus Christ, God's own eternal Son, perfectly reflects and replicates in His own person the glorious nature and character of God the Father. And as the image of God, the eternal Son of God is perfectly suited to take up the commission that we as God's created image bearers failed to accomplish. He is able to fill and subdue the earth with God's glory, and He will. He is the image of the invisible God. And then consider the second expression that the Apostle Paul uses of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Well, the Old Testament background of this title is found most clearly in the prophecy about the Lord's anointed one, the Messiah, in Psalm 89. This prophecy recalls the Lord's promise to King David in 2 Samuel 7 that the Lord would establish the throne of David's son forever as an everlasting kingdom. And God gave this promise, I will be to him, that is to the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, a father, and he will be to me a son. This promise you find coming up again and again in the Bible. The psalmist in Psalm 89 echoes that promise, that promise of God concerning the son of David in Psalm 89, verse 26 and 27. It says there, He shall cry to me, You are my father, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's an interpretation of of what it means that God will become the father, declare himself to be the father of the Messiah and that the Messiah will be the son of the father of God. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And so God the father says of the Christ, I will make him the firstborn. I will give him the status of the firstborn. That's what this is about. And what will be the result of this appointment? Well, as the firstborn, he will be the highest of the kings of the earth. As he says in Psalm 2, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. As applied to Christ in Psalm 89, the title of firstborn, you see, is a royal title. It's a title that identifies him as the heir of the kingdom promised to Abram and to David, the kingdom of God. That Christ is the firstborn of all creation, it means that he is the Son of God, whom as Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, God the Father appointed the heir of all things. It means he is sovereign and supreme over all things in creation. It means, in short, that the king once born in Bethlehem as a baby in humble circumstances, he is and always has been 
Lord over all creation. O come, let us adore him. Marvel at this mystery that the king born some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem who grew up the son of a carpenter in Nazareth went around as a rabbi in Galilee and Judea with no place to rest his head and then was put to death on a Roman instrument of torture on a hill outside Jerusalem. That this Jesus is the eternal son, the image of the invisible God whom God the Father has highly exalted as the firstborn and heir over all creation by raising him from the dead and installing him on the throne at his right hand, higher than the highest of the kings of the earth. This isn't, although we struggle to to put it into words, this isn't just abstract truth to wrap your brain around. Don't worry if you can't wrap your brain around all this. Because this is truth far bigger than our puny puny little brains. This is the eternal Son of God. The truth. The way, the truth, and the life. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. So we're not called simply to wrap our heads around some truth. We're called to bow down and worship in awe of this King's greatness and glory. So marvel, brothers and sisters, at the majesty of your king and stand in awe of his supremacy. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. O come, let us worship him, Christ the Lord. We find another reason to do so, to worship Christ, to adore him, as the Lord in verse 16. The Apostle Paul further declares in this verse the the supreme lordship of Christ over all creation. If you look at verse 16 with me, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In these words, the Apostle Paul proclaims that Jesus Christ is over all created things in the same way that God is over the creation. He is over creation, not simply as the highest of the creatures, as we said earlier, but together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he is over the creation as the creator himself. Think of it this way. A famous artist makes a series of beautiful paintings And one of those paintings stands out above the rest as especially beautiful. It's a masterpiece. Well, many people, including Muslims and Sikhs, Buddhists and Jews and atheists and nominal Christians, they're okay with the idea that Jesus is like that masterpiece. He's cut above the rest, a fine human being, a model of morality, a great religious teacher. But in fact, the truth that God's word reveals is that Jesus is not simply like, in that illustration, a masterpiece. He is more like the great artist, the architect and builder and owner of all created things and every created being. 
You see, all things are his handiwork and his possession made by him and for his glory. That's Jesus. The apostle in verse 16 of our text uses three little words called prepositions. The words in, through, and for. Just little words, but they point to this ginormous truth. All things were created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Elsewhere, the Apostle John puts it this way. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. So, brothers and sisters, the baby who was laid in a manger, the man who was hung with arms outstretched upon the cross of Golgotha, is the same divine person by whom and for whom the world was formed into being, the personal agent and aim of the Father in the creation of the universe. Our King was there in the beginning as the eternal Son of God before a single atom of this world existed. As the hymn puts it, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That's what happened at Christmas. The Word of the Father appearing in human flesh. Our king was there in the beginning as the eternal son of God before a single atom of this world existed. And he is the eternal word and wisdom of God by whom every atom was brought into existence and beautifully and skillfully arranged into field and flower, ocean and river, mountain and valley, peacock, an elephant, platypus and sea lion, iguana and stingray, moon and stars, indeed all things in heaven and on earth. You name it, it was all made through Christ and for his glory. And not only the physical universe that we can see with our eyes, but also the things we can't see, the unseen spiritual dimension of the world, the realm of angels and demons. Over this too, Christ is supreme as creator and Lord. Paul addresses that in the middle of verse 16. He says, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things. It doesn't matter what they are, visible or invisible, seen or unseen, earthly or heavenly, all things are under Christ because they were created. And he was not. He is the creator and ruler of all things. And all things means all things. This means that Christ is supreme and sovereign over absolutely everything in this world. He is this world's architect and owner. And to make it personal, this means that you and I are not sovereign over our own lives. But we were made in order to live for Christ as our supreme Lord. So let us worship and glorify Jesus, our King, as Lord of all creation and Lord of our whole lives. O come, let us adore Him. He is the eternal Son of God, the Lord over all creation, and therefore worthy of the worship of all people, all nations under the sun in every sphere of human existence. As one person has put it, whether we labor in the home, agriculture, transportation, 
financial services, the military, law enforcement, medicine, music, the arts, science, engineering, education, civil government, church ministry, construction, mining, computer programming, advertising, sales and marketing, the automobile industry, retail, or some other field. Every object and person falls under Christ's sovereignty and exists for his glory. And so we should worship Christ as Lord, not only by gathering as the church on Sundays and other special days in the year like Christmas, but every day in everything that we do. Oh, come, let us adore him. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And finally, let's look at verse 17 of our text. Let's consider how Christ is, as it were, the center of all things. As we might say that someone acts as if they're the center of the world, the center of the universe. They act like the whole world is supposed to revolve around me. Well, so the Apostle Paul declares in a manner of speaking that Christ actually is the center of the universe. And the whole world ought to revolve around around him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The apostle here asserts Christ's eternal existence and his essential priority before all things. And he does so in connection with his sovereignty and power in upholding and sustaining and governing all those things that we just said were created by him. They were not only created by him in the beginning, but they are also preserved and maintained in their existence at every moment by him. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Why does everything in the world exist today? Because Christ holds it all together. And if Christ were to let go, as it were, then the whole world would fall apart And in fact, it would cease to exist. That's how central Christ is, the Son of God is, to the existence of the universe. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6 says, There is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. As the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, each and every one of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all dependent on Christ, the Son of God, for life and breath and everything. And in him we live and move and have our being. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so Christ is the center around which everything in the universe revolves in terms of its existence. He holds it all together, just as the hub at the center of the wheel, or as the sun at the center of the solar system, whose gravitational pull, as it were, keeps all the planets of created things from evaporating into nothingness. In Him, all things hold together. In whom? In Christ, our King, Jesus, our King, the eternal Son of God, who took on humanity at Christmas, as we call it, and who shed his blood 
and offered up his life on the cross as the only atoning sacrifice for our sins on Good Friday. This same person, brothers and sisters, the one who loved you and laid down his life for you as a ransom so that you might be set free from sin and death and everlasting condemnation, this same person is the supreme Lord of the universe. He was with the Father in the beginning when he created the world. And he still governs and upholds all things by his almighty power, his all-knowing wisdom, and his all-surpassing goodness. The king, once born in Bethlehem, the son into whose kingdom you and I have been transferred if we believe in him, by whose blood we have been redeemed. This Savior and King, whom God raised from the dead and seated on the throne at his right hand, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, through him, and for him, all things were created. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. To Christ, then, to Jesus, the King of creation and Lord over all, to God the Son, our Savior and our friend through the blood of this cross, to him be honor and glory and worship and praise forever and ever. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen.